Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Matt Kelly and I take a deep dive into the compliance issues around collaboration tools, Slack, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, etc. What are the compliance issues? Have you looked at those? How do you assess and manage them going forward? Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds of a compliance-related topic. Uh, First of all, Matt, welcome. Hello, Tom. Good to be here again, as always. Matt, you had a post that really intrigued me today entitled Compliance Risk and Collaboration Tools. Can you tell us a little bit about what piqued your interest in this in-the-weeds topic? Yeah, so I was on a webinar not long ago about this subject, and while that webinar and its core audience were really geared for financial firms, broker-dealers, a lot of entities that would be regulated, first and foremost, probably by FINRA, the broker-dealer regulator, they have some pretty onerous regulatory requirements around employee surveillance and what employees are saying. You have to capture that. Records retention. Um, you, if you're a financial firm, you have to capture all of that data. Such has always been the case. But now, thanks to the pandemic, uh, the tools that employees are using are changing fundamentally because we're all working from home. So we are using these collaboration tools And I would define that very broadly. That would be Slack or Zoom or Google Meets or Google Duo. I don't even know what Google Duo is, but apparently it is one of these tools. Um, Microsoft Teams, iMessage. It could still be email as well. But a lot of these collaboration tools are very easy to use if you are the employee, but we, the compliance professionals, and frankly, the regulators as well, they're still catching up on what are your regulatory requirements around employees using collaboration tools. And that was the subject of the uh, the webinar we were speaking on. And so I took a lot of detailed notes and spun up this issue of how a compliance officer would assess those kind of risks and um, what sort of firm, what, what would a firm need to do? to be able to empower a compliance officer to pay attention to these compliance risks in the right way. That's where this all came from. Could you maybe uh, uh, delineate a little bit further why on a regulated industry, or at least one regulated by FINRA, there might be some additional obligations around utilizing these types of tools as opposed to a commercial company that's subject to the FCPA or some other anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance uh, well, because financial firms um, can commit different types of corruption, frankly. Uh, so FINRA and other regulators have evolved a regulatory response to be aware of that broader range of risk. And probably the best example of things that FINRA regulated entities have to do and have to think about, which many other companies in the non-financial world do not, would be surveillance of employee communications. 
um, because maybe they are dealing with other broker dealers and other firms. And are they front running trades? Are they setting up some sort of insider information scheme? Um, are they fleecing investors? There is a heightened duty of care that financial firms have to meet. And that translates into heightened duties around, say, employee surveillance or records retention that are probably not a bad idea for many other types of firms. And probably a lot of what the financial firms are thinking about for employee monitoring and surveillance and records retention. Probably a lot of those issues are also relevant in the anti-corruption world. Um, but that's where all of this comes from, that FINRA does pay a lot of attention to this. So if you are a trader, a commodities broker, a stock broker, uh, if you are at all in that trading world, you have a, a lot more regulatory duties to think about. Uh, the, the scheme over there is much more sophisticated about what you do and don't have to do for rules to comply with. But like with so much else in the corporate world, the pandemic has really strained a lot of those other regulatory standards that existed for years that don't quite fit with what we are all doing now to work in the pandemic. So that's the, the, the pickle that we're in. Well, I guess, Matt, that's the part of your blog post that really struck me as the, uh, frankly, much more useful part because you posed questions um, based upon a technology that we don't use as much anymore, and that is email. Um, but mm-hmm. you ask, uh, you said things like the key to managing compliance risk is to understand the use cases that employees make for these collaboration tools. And I mean, I think that applies to to every compliance practitioner in, in every organization. And then you laid out really some of the key steps that you saw that a CCO needs to be involved with. And it ranged from things like, um, becoming more, uh, having a better understanding of the business, how the business communicates, sitting down or at least uh, uh, communicating with a chief technology officer to understand the technology uh, that's available, and then becoming uh, you know, kind of a first line of defense in addition to perhaps a second line of defense as well. So I thought really you laid out a way for every compliance professional in regulated industries or not to think through a new risk with a new set of tools, how you would evaluate that risk, how you would assess that and then mitigate that risk, uh, if any, and and then uh, continually uh, monitor and continually improve that going forward. Yeah. So what I had recommended is that compliance officers, if you want to understand the compliance risks around this, uh, well, then that really means you need to understand the use cases employees would make for we want to use this particular collaboration tool rather than that one over here. We want to use Zoom rather than Microsoft Teams or Google Meetup. Well, why? What? Because so much of how employees work through their day is like they're not necessarily looking to be nefarious. They're looking to do their job as easily as possible. So, Zoom, for example, seems to me to be really easy to use. On the other hand, its security features, at least for the first few months of the pandemic, were much lower and lax, causing everybody to say, well, you can't use Zoom. You have to use Microsoft Teams, which does have better security, but is a bit more complicated to use. Or something like Skype for Business, which I use a Mac and I have never figured out how to use Skype for business uh, as a collaboration tool. And if somebody 
told me I had to start using it, I would just say, no, I can't. I don't know how. And it's a pain in the neck. Now, that shouldn't be a, a new concept for most compliance officers. We have all heard that if you throw compliance obstacles into the path of an employee, they will see it as an obstruction to doing their real job and they will find a workaround for it. So if you want to avoid that with these collaboration tools, you need to sit down with employees and ask them, why this one, not that one? Why do you want to talk by iMessage as opposed to Slack, Um, which is another tool that I personally, I don't see why anybody uses Slack. I don't get it, but that's just me. Um, But you need to get to understand with employees why these tools that they want. And maybe some of their reasons are sufficient. Maybe some of their reasons aren't, um, given your regulatory burdens or your security concerns. But you know, you're going to wind up with a list of tools that may or may not be able to fit your operational needs and your compliance burdens. And then comes the second half, which really kind of struck me on this webinar I was on, is that, yeah, you're going to have to sit down with the IT department tool by tool, feature by feature of each tool. And some of these tools could have dozens of features that might be relevant to employees and your regulatory requirements. And you're going to have to sit down with the IT department and say, well, what about this feature? Does it work? Do we need it? Can we turn it off? Can we turn it on? Could other employees turn it off after I turn it on and I want it on? So could I turn off their ability to turn it off and leave it on? Could we customize this? Uh, You're going to have to go through all of that if you want a good strong understanding of how you can use the tool within the regulatory requirements that you have. For a lot of firms that are not in financial services, maybe this might be less painstaking. I don't have a lot of cheerful news if you are, say, a FINRA-regulated business, because that is painstaking. And to give an example of how painstaking, one of the other speakers on this webinar I was on, he spent a Saturday afternoon uh, with the IT director at his firm, seven hours nonstop going through feature by feature, trying to figure out how to make a certain collaboration tool work for their firm. I think they got it to work, but it was the seven hours of turning features on and off and figuring out if they were necessary or a compliance burden or not. Like It's that level of exactitude that you might wind up having to engage in to really understand the compliance risks for these collaboration tools. Matt, you had one other insight that uh, I'm not sure we've really explored on this podcast series, so I'm just going to maybe see if we could take a little bit deeper dive into it. Uh, Near the end, and in fact, the penultimate uh, paragraph, you say that uh, obviously IT controls are going to be an important part of managing this risk, but then you say you'll need to get employees to understand risk-aware culture you want and embrace it. You'll need to rely on policy and training as much as you need to rely on IT controls. And really, uh, that I thought was a great insight because we don't often think about what's the best way to manage a risk. Is it a control-based management? Is it a um, policy-based management? Is it a training-based management? And um, focusing on the need for having a robust policy that can be understood, but also training on it as opposed to some of the other controls we talk about on a fairly regular basis in this podcast, I really thought was an interesting way for compliance practitioners to think about overall the management of risk. 
Yeah. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. And I'll start very specifically back on IT tools and features. Let's say you're using a collaboration tool that allows somebody to prioritize a certain chat message as a high priority, high status thing. Um, the question then becomes from a regulatory standpoint, do you need to be able to capture not just what that message was for records retention? Do you also need to capture the high priority status that somebody had applied to it? So in many cases, you might, yes, you would have to be able to do that. Well, does the tool itself allow you to store and archive not just the message, but the high priority status that was applied to it? Some of the tools, yes, you can. Some of the tools, no, you can't. Some of them, like I said before, it's kind of in the middle where you could, in theory, have the system record that priority status, but others might be able to turn it off. And now you've got a records retention issue. So can you turn off their ability to turn it off? And we're back to this. So you could spend the seven hours on a Saturday with your IT department. First off, that assumes the IT people want to spend their Saturday afternoon with compliance. But let's just say that you do have a strong, robust love of compliance in the C-suite. And here is the, the CTO or the CISO sitting with you. And you guys figure out the right IT controls to get that done. I still think we have a whole other separate set of risk, which is that in the real world, once you've configured the app and the data and the records retention, it's still employees working in their own office at home, working on their own device, uh, working on their own Wi-Fi network. They might just circumvent all of this by using a second tool. You might have done all of this for Microsoft Teams, and then they did figure out how to get Google Hangouts, and that's how they're chatting, and they're not recording any records retention at all. And you can't see that because they have circumvented all of the IT controls that you've put around one other particular tool. So how are you going to conquer that sort of a gap? And that's the thing that we have to appreciate about work from home right now is we've got corporate apps and corporate data and corporate IT controls, and a lot of times you're going to be also working with people who are using personal devices and personal networks in their personal workspace at home, and there's a lack of visibility into all of that. How are you going to address that part? A lot of it is going to have to be training that, no, if you do this, even if you're well-meaning, that could bring some serious records retention um, regulatory violations to the firm. We shouldn't do it. Um, you are going to have to get them to buy into the idea that, yes, using this particular tool might be a more of a pain in the neck, but I've been trained and I understand why it's necessary for this strong culture of compliance that we're going to have. So I'm going to still use the pain in the neck tool and archive all my priority statuses and everything else um, just because that's the way we should do it. So it really is this two-pronged approach between what I would call the hard controls, the IT controls, and the softer policy and training controls to get employees to use those tools in the right way. Um, now, my, my question was just what firms are going to be able to have a strong, supportive compliance function and culture to do that? You're going to have to answer that on your own, listeners. Everybody knows the sort of culture and respect for compliance that your own firm has, but that's the goal that you should be striving for. That's the Shangri-La of a strong culture of compliance we're looking to achieve. I'm not saying it's easy, especially nowadays, but we are where we are. I guess the, I'd just go back to this is a robust way to look at risk management. 
all the way from identifying a risk, assessing it, uh, managing it, and then uh, monitoring it and, and improving your uh, risk management strategy if, if need be. So uh, I found it really fascinating and really a lot to unpack, Matt. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. It's uh, it's a lot that's going on, and we're going to have to figure out how to make it work because I don't think the coronavirus uh, conditions are going to fade anytime soon. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me, tfox, at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we take up another topic and take a deep dive into the weeds of it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being a loyal listener. And we look forward to visiting with you again. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave a message on the speaker app on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.